Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning to each of you. Let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 today will be in verses 5 through 8. We're entering into a section where the Lord Jesus is instructing and helping us and guiding us in our lives of prayer, our prayer life. Chapter 5, Jesus described the moral character of a disciple, of a follower of Christ. Chapter 6, he's describing what is our religious life like? What is the piety of a follower of Christ? More than dealing with what a disciple does, Jesus is highlighting and focusing upon why. Why does a disciple do what they do? It's not just about the quantity of our giving, the quantity of our attending, the quantity of our serving, the quantity of uh, amount of Bible we read, the quantity of time that we spend in prayer. It's also about, and even more importantly, the quality. If you read the entire Bible this week and you didn't apply a verse, You're just responsible now and accountable for the entire Bible. What did we get out of that? How do we apply it in our lives? Christianity, true Christianity, has always been and always will be and is about the heart. What God sees, your heart, my heart, he sees it all, he knows it all. Sinclair Ferguson gives a helpful description of this section. And he says it this way. He says, throughout this section of the sermon, our Lord hints that the real trouble with the heart of the hypocrite is that he does not know God as his heavenly father. He is insecure before God and therefore seeks security in what his fellow men think about him. He is unreal in his activities before men because he has no real relationship with God. That's the hypocrite. Beloved God cares about your heart. He cares about my heart. He cares about our attitude. He cares about our motives. Why do we do what we do? Yes, he cares about our actions. Yes, he cares about what we say. But he cares about our behavior. He cares about our hearts. Why we do what we do. We long to be people that, it's on your worship guide if you just turn it over, are distinctives. Number one, Christ-centered preaching. Number two, passionate worship. Number three, fervent prayer. That believing in the power of God, we are devoted to praying boldly without ceasing. Oh, may God, by His Spirit, enable this to be true of us as a church. That we are utterly dependent on Him for everything. Everything. Let us hear this section from Jesus, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. 
And Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others, the same reason they give. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when or whenever you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's go to the Father even now. Father, we are thankful that you are God and you are good and you know what each of us need today before we even lift this prayer to you. But Father, you invite us to come because you want to be with us. You want that fellowship with us. So may we become more aware of your presence. May we experience, not just hear about, some say, may we experience the glory of your goodness. And this is all possible by your Holy Spirit. So we invite you today, you be the teacher. You guide my lips, my heart, my motives today, and the hearers that we will hear, understand, and obey your word for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. The story is told, as I was preparing this week, I was reminded of it. John Wesley and George Whitfield, powerful evangelists, men of God, they were very different. They were different in their belief. One, George Whitfield, he was an ardent Calvinist. God is sovereign in salvation. And John Wesley was an Arminian. Oh, no, no, we have to, you know, get people and we got to work them up and they have to respond. Free will. God is sovereign. Free will. Well, they were speaking somewhere and they retired to the quarters for the preachers and they were praying before they went to bed. Both of them kneeled down. George Whitfield, the Calvinist, Lord, I thank you that you will take your word that has been preached today and you will accomplish everything that your heart desires. Amen crawls into bed. Crossed away, there's John Wesley. So you being a Calvinist, that's what your prayer life is? He stayed sleeping. George stayed sleeping. George Whitfield later, a couple hours later, woke up in the middle of the night. He looked over and there's John Wesley beside the bed asleep. <laughs> so he gets up, he goes around, he nudges him on the shoulder. He says, hey, is this where your Arminianism gets you? The point of this is, no matter who you are, no matter how effective you are, we all have room to grow in our prayer lives. Pa possibly George could have prayed a little longer. Possibly John could have stayed awake through his prayer. Understanding, though, that we come into the presence of the Father and we long to grow in our lives of prayer. May God even do this in our hearts and lives today. Jesus taught his disciples, and we saw this two weeks ago, to reflect the Father's gracious heart in their giving. 
reflect the Father's gracious heart in their giving. This is what he, he emphasized to them. The hypocrite, they do, they do all they do for people to see them and applaud them. And Jesus said in those first four verses, there you are, there's your reward. Now he transitions into prayer. That we are to seek the Father's tender heart in our praying. That's what the message is from Jesus to us today. That we seek the Father's tender heart and we go to him in prayer. Let's unpack this together. First of all, we need to recognize deficient prayer. This is where Jesus begins, just as he did with the deficient, deficient motives for giving of the hypocrites. Now he deals with deficient prayer. And he says, do not pray like, don't be like them. And he describes what he has uh, for us. Beloved, there are acts of praying that are not kingdom prayer, not God's kingdom. Once again, we have to ask the question, well, why do we do what we do? Why do we pray? Is it a habit? Maybe that we have a habit or maybe it's our habit we don't pray. You sit down to eat and it's like, oh yeah, oh wait, well, I took a few bites. Hang on, I'm supposed to pray so I don't choke on the food. That's what somebody told me. So, all right, Lord, you know, bless the food. Thank you. But is your heart really engaged in that? Or is it just something you like, you just have to do or don't be a good Christian if I don't do that? Why do we do what we do? What are we actually doing? Is it out of a habit? Is it out of a tradition? Or possibly it's just something you're supposed to do. Jesus exposed two types of prayer that are deficient. The first type is attempting to use God for selfish praise. And the second is manipulate God for selfish gain. Prayer that centers around the small little kingdom of me. It's not kingdom praying. The first lesson that Jesus has for us under recognizing deficient prayer is this. Do not use God to gain favor with men. Do not use God to gain favor with men. You must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen, glorified, praised by others. No. Jesus was here unmasking the vainglory of religious hypocrites. He's starting off with the religious crowd, the leadership of the religious crowd. Judaism in his day continued on to Paul, the apostles' day. Beloved, we have to understand this. Sin follows you and me right into the throne room, right into our prayer lives. We don't leave the sinful, carnal, distracted self outside the door as soon as we say, dear Lord, oh, I thank thee. There's just this amazing presence of the Lord. No, I'm still, I'm still me. I'm still distracted. I still have dogs that bark, I think, every time I try to pray. Satan just like pokes them or does something, sends a squirrel by, a cat by, something. This is the highest form of our worship, and we aren't rid of the indwelling sin in us there. We bring it with us into the presence of the Lord. John Stott said, behind their piety lurked their pride. 
Behind their piety lurked their pride. The pious Jews in Jesus' day, they were accustomed to praying publicly at three set times each day. Well, why did they do that? Because they saw it in Scripture. Psalm 55, 17. The Jewish day was organized this way, when the Sabbath would come in. The, The evening, that would be the beginning of the day. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Well, Daniel, in Daniel 6 and verse 10, after the king passed the, you know, signed it, nobody prays to anybody other than me. And Daniel says, sorry, king. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. They were open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He didn't start something new. Oh, you tell me I can't? Well, I'm going to do it. I'll just show you. That wasn't his disposition. They were trying to trap him, and the only way that they could catch him, could this be said of you and me, is we have to find an area that we can get him to violate his piety, his walk with his God. And we see the posture that Daniel is kneeling in prayer. There's all types of different postures of prayer in the Bible. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, the New Testament, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So the Jewish people had all these different times that this is the time for prayer. And listen, if it just happened in the synagogue or out in the street, And that religious person was walking by, you know, every Sunday we get the noon bell here, you know, the siren in town. Well, they had something when it's, whoop, there it is. And they probably timed it out to be in the most visible spot where all the people could be watching them in the synagogue, in the street. (sighs) You know, I don't know if they had the, you know, powder up in the air They had the crisscross down on one knee, back up, genuflecting. Whatever they were doing, it brought the most attention to them. And they could stop traffic and stop people and just shut her down. Oh, God, I thank thee. And they would go off into prayer on and on and on. No, you may not walk yet. I'm still praying. He's still praying. Man, this guy is amazing. I can't ever pray that long. I don't even know what those words mean. This guy is so impressive. And the more they hear that, take it up a notch, right? Kick it up another gear. This is going really good. To see an example of this, go to Luke 18. Here's a guy that Jesus told us about. Luke 18, we have two different individuals and they're praying in the temple. Verse 9, Jesus is here in this passage teaching about prayer. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. There's the hypocrite. That they were righteous and treated others. Here's what happens to the, the legalistic person who believes they are righteous and they're trusting. You know how they treat other people? Like trash. They can say the meanest, harshest things to people and just throw a little bit of Christian on it, they think. You know what I'm talking about? They don't care how they treat people. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so he says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. And, And the crowd would have been Pharisee. Woo, yay, Pharisees, they're spiritual. Tax collector, boo, hate those guys. They take all our money. The Pharisee standing by himself, there's a posture of prayer, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm me. I'm amazing. You know, he, you see how he's positioning God as you must be great because I'm so great. And I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, I mean, is he pointing? Unjust, adulterers, you know, is he hitting this guy like, or even like this, tax collector. I mean, maybe he's just picking out everybody in the crowd. He's got his eyes open. He's just looking around over here, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this, wait for it, tax collector. Verse 12, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all you got? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's your prayer? God, God, be merciful to me. Looks up, I can't look up. You're God, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The religious hypocrite, the Pharisee, went home, prayer unheard, except by the people that were around him. But that tax collector that repented like Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he was changed forever. This type of praying would just bring all the attention to themselves. This this praying that God rejects is prayer that is carried out so that religious men can shine before. That's what the original word feino means, to shine before. So remember Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, that you are to... Let your lights shine before men. They'll see your good works, glorify your Father in heaven. These guys have it all flipped around. They are doing whatever they do so that they will shine. They will be praised and glorified before men. Now, isn't it easy for us to say, yeah, these, those people, those horrible people. I mean, how long do we really have to think of our motives on things where we are realizing I can easily slide into that. That doesn't even take me any work at all to be thinking, what are people thinking of me, whatever I'm doing? Have you ever dealt with a thought like this when you've been asked to pray in public? I know that was one of the first things when I'm married into Ginger's family, go to Kentucky, family dinners. There's a pastor in the family. <laughs> it's like, Brian, will you pray? <laughs> okay. 
But when you start thinking through, what am I going to say? What are people going to think of me? Oh, I don't, I don't pray like, like he does. Oh, I don't pray like she does. Are they going to be thinking? No, no, that's okay. You go ahead and pray. I'll pass. Who are we, who are we really thinking of there? We're thinking of ourselves. Well, I don't want to sound foolish. I remember when my great uncle prayed in Montana. We were there uh, for the memorial service of my grandfather. Uncle Al, he had dagwood hair. I get it from him. Sticks out on the sides, no matter how he got his hair cut. And I remember they asked him to pray for that dinner. We're in an outside place. And I remember his prayer. And he used the these and the thous, but it was different. That was his language. And it, I, I just remember standing next to him as he was about this tall praying, and he was filled with fire. But when it came to prayer, I think I remember opening my eyes because it was like, is he just talking to God? I mean, he was within, I think, about one year of passing and being in heaven. And it was like he just had a conversation with God. All the these and the thus and the thous, that was his language. He wasn't caring what anybody thought. He was talking with God in a way that was palpable and just precious. He didn't care what anybody thought. Don't care what people think about your prayers. Who are you seeking? When does a dependent child come to their father and really work out their speech to ask for a drink or to ask for a snack? You know, imagine the toddler coming in. Oh, Father, I thank thee that you've provided the shelter over me and that you are willing most of the times, but not always, to give me what I asketh of thee. You know, I mean, does this happen? Most dads would be like, dude, what is wrong with you? I, would, I just wanted a drink. Well, why didn't you say so? What was that? Oh, there was people around, and I wanted them to think, you have a really amazing son. Here, have a drink, you know. Go, go on. All you had to do was ask. I'll give you what you need so I can have Mountain Dew in the morning? No. <laughs> Brush your teeth, right? Your father knows what you have need of. The praying that God rejects is prayer that's carried out before men. What do they think of me? Are they impressed by me? So Jesus is saying, don't use God to get favor with men. Doesn't that sound awful that someone would use God for the applause of men? Jesus says, don't do that. He also says, do not use repetitive words to gain favor with God. Well, how am I going to earn favor with God? Say a lot of repetition, words over and over and over and over and over and sounds and phrases over and over and over and over do you know how many times I said those prayers? That's got to be worth something, right? Not according to Jesus. Now Jesus is moving from the religious realm of Judaism, what it had devolved into, into paganism. He talks about the Gentiles. That's what the Gentiles do. The pagans. Religions of the world with demons. Demons. And what they do is mantras, chanting, 
over and over and over saying certain phrases or words. Can you think of any pagan religions like this? Mantras, repetition, working up the people into some type of a frenzy so they can have an emotional experience. Trying to go through this word is batalageo. It's babble. It's meaningless babble. And Jesus says, do not do this. Do not do this. You're trying to make God subservient to you by using a lot of meaningless, repetitive words. That is not the God who created all things and sent his son as savior of the world. John Calvin says it this way. He says, the grace of God is not obtained by an unmeaning flow of words. But on the contrary, a devout heart throws out its expectations like arrows to pierce heaven. I love that line. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Bullseye. Wasn't flowery. Wasn't for anybody else listening. Target. Hit. Go with me back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18, we see this encounter between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18, and we're going to begin in verse 20. We'll see this encounter and how this fits with what Jesus is saying, this meaningless, ongoing repetition of words, phrases, spiritual sayings. Verse 20 of 1 Kings 18, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. That should have reminded them of Joshua. Should have reminded them of Moses. Choose life, right? Verse, uh, it continues on. And the people did not answer him a word. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I even only, I only am left a prophet of the Lord. That wasn't true. We'll find that out later. In the, in the book of Kings, not this morning, but you can read it, okay? But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, honestly, that day, Elijah felt alone because he was alone that day on the, on the hillside. 450 to one, probably not good odds, right? If you're on your own. So here's what he had, verse 23. Let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on wood and put no fire to it, verse 24. And you call upon the name of your God, little g, small g, no God at all. And I will call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Good call, let's do it. Let's see this. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, small g, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. So just picture, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, I mean, how long am I going to go on this? You you think I preach long? This was morning to noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Is there a second verse to this song or is this all we got here, boys? Oh, Baal. But there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar 
And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, now, come on, you got to like Elijah right here. This, this has to have some respect here, some props to Elijah. He, say, he says this to them, cry aloud for he is God. Lift your voices a little louder. He can't hear you. Either he is musing, hmm, he's just thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm pondering, I'm musing. No time for you. Or now here he really throws some shade. He's relieving himself. He's out back in the, in the john, you know? He's just out there, just hang on. He'll be back. He's busy. Or maybe he's on a journey. He took a vacation, boys. He's gone. Did you check the sign on the door? Or perhaps, here it is. He's like some of us men. He's asleep. You got to wake him up. Come on, let's get the band a little louder. Wake him up. And they did. They followed, verse 28, and they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom. Okay, that's demonic. Understand this, Satan hates everything that represents the beauty of God. He hates marriage. He hates your body. He hates you because you are a testament made in the image of God. So whatever this is connected, people attack this body, marriage, the institution of marriage, because it represents the divine. It's a battle from hell. So there they are cutting themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Understand that's the God behind meaningless, empty prayers of repetition going through the motions of religious perfunctory. There's nobody there. There's demons there, but there's no God there. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. About time, right? If you're out there that day, like, whew, my picnic lunch was gone a long time ago. Can we see something roasted? Let's get to it. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. He's taking them back to their roots. Who are you people? Verse 32, and with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four jars or even barrels with water and pour it upon the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, now just listen to this prayer because there's movements in this prayer. He goes up in the movement, all right? He is going up in reverence. Oh, Jehovah, oh, Yahweh, oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. You see what he's doing? He's glorifying God. And that now it's a downward. Now it's, I am your servant. There's humility there. And that I have done all these things at your word. Here's his request now. Answer me, O Lord, according, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. He's moving out in readiness. Well, what happened after this simple prayer? 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God, capital G. The Lord, he is God. God answered Elijah's prayer. Beloved, we can all drift into offering God worn out cliches that if we were to use in regular conversation, they would be a little strange, raise a few eyebrows. And I don't say these things for us to become, you know, running around prayer police. Ah, you said the phrase, you said the word, you know. Listen, this is just an area for us to be thinking through, to, to not just go through empty, meaningless phrases when we pray. I've said some of these things, all right? So this isn't an indicting of your spiritual level if you've said any of these. But have, how many have ever prayed, Lord, be with us? All right, Lord, be with us. Okay, what, what exactly are we talking about? When exactly does the Lord leave us? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's the reason why you can have victory over covetousness. I, you have me. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we pray. I don't know. I've heard it prayed. I think it sounds nice. I just want, you know, I just want them to know that the Lord is with them. Then why not say that? Pray specifically what we are asking of God. In other words, use thought in what we're saying and not just fall down into habits. How many have prayed for a hedge of protection around somebody? Yeah. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from Satan. That's what Satan said to God about Job. <laughs> hey, I'm, he serves you because you have a hedge of protection around him. Nope. <laughs> like, oh. So what is Job, what happens to Job after the hedge of protection drops? His life falls apart, chapter one, chapter two. So I'm not saying it's wrong to pray put a hedge of protection around them, but maybe we should say, Lord, would you keep your hedge of protection around me? That's a little more truthful. If, and here's the reality, beloved. This is only for believers. This is only for disciples. This is only for Christians. If you do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no hedge of protection around you. You have Satan as a father, and that's no good place to be. Hell is an eternal fire and the hedge of protection is not for you because you're not in Christ until you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and you're part of the family and God doesn't ever leave you or forsake you. Another thing we say, Lord, we want more of you. We want more of you, Lord. Are we implying in prayer that God has only given us like, here's 30%. I'm not really sure about you. We'll see how things go, and I'll see if you read your Bible, you know, 10 minutes every day, and then maybe I'll move it up to 40%. Oh, you're telling people about me? Here's 70%. No. If you are in Christ, that little picture of baby Jesse handed to that family. She's all in. She's all family. She's there. 100% their child. What does she do? Really not pretty things for a while. She's part of the family. She's loved. What is she going to be contributing to the family? Really not great for a while. But she is part of the family, just as if you belong to God, to Christ, you're part of the family. He carries you. You don't carry him. 
Thank God for that, right? Uh, And then we get to the end of the prayer, and we know this little phrase that we've heard and learned, and we say at the end, in Jesus' name, amen. There it is. Do you know we can actually say that at the beginning of the prayer, and what are we saying? According to the character, the name of Christ. So if I have just prayed for my toenails, for my aches, for this, for that, for Lord, I need this, and I need that, and provide this, Oh, and by the way, can I really say that Jesus, if he was with me, he would be praying the prayer I just prayed? No, I think he would, uh, probably not. Okay, then simply slapping at the end like a stamp on an envelope in Jesus' name. Try that at the beginning of your prayer. According to the name of Jesus, start there. And keep that throughout the prayer. Doesn't mean it's wrong to say in Jesus' name. You ask the Father in my name, he'll do it. He'll do what? What's best for you? Mountain Dew in the morning? (laughs) Probably not. A different job? Maybe not. A change in this, a change in that, that may not be what's best. A whole new different political system in the U.S. Yeah, Lord, how about it? What do we know underneath and over all of it? God is sovereign and he's working out his good plan. And we can trust him. Don't trust politicians, trust the Lord. Number two, prayer requires discipline. It requires discipline. When you pray, when you pray. This area of our lives, beloved, is the key to fruitfulness or fruitlessness in every other area of our lives. It's the secret place. That's where battles are fought. That's where victories are won. It's been said, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Do we want the power of God? Were we not called to prayer May 16th on that Sunday night? A prayerless church is a powerless church. We're coming not to say, Lord, here's our will, bless it, do it. We're coming together from now till then and beyond then till Jesus returns or our heart stops beating. Lord, you work your will in our lives. Well, where do we learn how to have discipline that doesn't turn into duty? Oh, I gotta pray. Oh, I've I've gotta make sure, you know, I mean, I have heard and given enough sermons that have not changed my prayer life. Try harder, do more, spend more time, read another book. All of those things can be helpful. But if you're just going after, if I'm just going after a fix to give myself some sense of, you know, there it was. Oh, that was a good prayer time. I'm coming back for that. We're to pray without ceasing. What we're doing right now is offered to the Lord. Let that help us understand what prayer is. Our lives as an offering to the Lord, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of not you, to God, Paul wrote. Jesus, beloved, he devoted himself to prayer. This is all throughout the Gospels. You want to do a good study? Go through the Gospel of Luke and Luke. And look, all throughout Luke. There's a little word twister there. All right, look at where Jesus prayed. Look how he prayed. When did he pray? Jesus devoted himself to prayer. Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, 
while it was still dark, Jesus departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't say, you know, don't do what I do, do what I say? If Jesus needed time with his father, good grief. What do I need? You don't have to say it too loud in response to that, okay? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So they came upon him. They learned by hearing him pray, by watching him pray, by his teaching. He taught them to pray, Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Lord, we, don't, we see what you're doing. That's not what we're doing. What are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. What, what, can you help us out? I want what you're doing. I want that intimacy with God. That's what I described in my Uncle Al. I said the same thing about my other grandparents. They wanted me. I, they made me want to know God better. Luke 18, 1. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they had always to pray and not lose heart. There's your option, beloved. There's my option. Pray or lose heart. Pray or lose your way. Pray or lose your courage. Pray or your self-confidence, your confidence is in self and it's not good. It won't, it won't last. It won't carry you. Pray without ceasing. Paul would write, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Wait a second, I thought Jesus said we're supposed to go in the secret place. You are. But whether it's in the secret place, whether it's alone, whether it's with your family, in the church, or in public, there are opportunities to pray. The National Day of Prayer is coming. But who is the audience? The Father. The Father. That we always keep the Father before us in our prayers. He devoted himself to prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus, beloved, he, expe he expects his disciples to pray. Read John 15. Abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. You can't do it without me. Abide in me. So Jesus is saying when or whenever you pray, this implies a need for communion, fellowship, and face time. We need that time together with our Father in heaven. And won't we make time to be with the ones that we love? We'll change schedules. We'll do things different. Why? Because I just want to be with you. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to just see your face. Set the time. Set the place where you meet with the Lord where he grows you in your life of prayer. Do you realize the entire book of Acts is God responding to the prayers of his people? They prayed, God answered. They prayed, God answered. They prayed, God answered. Luke lays it out. Remember what I said about study Luke for prayer? Luke also wrote Acts and he demonstrates they did it. They were obedient and the glory is to God because they were just saying, we need your help. And the Lord helped them. And here we are, 2,000 years later, a response to prayer. Jesus expects his disciples to pray. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, we find this conflict in the church. 
And, and the threat, the danger is, is that the apostles would be out serving the needs of the Hellenistic widows and they would forsake their responsibility of prayer and, and preparing the messages and ministering the word. And so they set apart seven men and they, meet, they met the need so that the church was brought together. So the church, the needs were met. There was harmony and unity that pleased the Lord in the church. And this is what the apostles said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We will devote, we will become servants to prayer and servants to the word. This is one reason that factored into me not continuing to drive a school bus anymore. As the year ended, last year ended, this is one thing. It isn't that it was a bad thing. I, I enjoyed those families but there's something that I must be held to, and it's this right here. To be a servant to prayer and a servant to the word, and that is the best place for the people of God. And then, instead of one person in that way being in the community, imagine when the families and the members of this body are going out on mission. Because I've been in the secret place with the Father and I come with fresh bread, what I'm partaking of, and feed it to the family of God. And aren't there other people that need this everywhere? We have to pray. The third truth is this, okay? Recognize the fish in prayer. Prayer requires discipline when you pray. But thirdly, prayer is a, re a response of devotion. It is simply drawing near to God. It's us responding to him. It isn't me working it up, trying harder, setting longer. I'm gonna put a timer on, you know, I'm gonna pray. It's me responding to the Lord and a heart is filled with devotion. Where do you get that? <laughs> the Lord, he gives that. Prayer is a response of devotion. Seek the heart of your heavenly Father. That's what Jesus is saying. Seek his heart. Seek, it's, it, another way of saying that is his face. Seek the heart of your heavenly Father. That we seek God actually for God's sake. And this is our greatest joy. That's the best thing for you, and it's the best thing for me. Psalm 27, verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, this is the heart of a disciple. This is the heart of a worship, a worshiper. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Isn't it interesting, the name Facebook? What are people going for? There's a need in us. And it can't be met by all the faces of all the people. It's met by seeking the face of God. You look around at all the lives of everybody else and their opinions on everything. Everybody's got an opinion on everything. How does that help you? But you go to this place and you seek the face of your Father in heaven and a worshiper says, your face, Lord, I will seek. That's important to me. So let's think about this. Who exactly are we praying to? 
The kind of reward that we are looking for from prayer time and prayer, our prayer life will be determined by our view of God. So do we view God as our master? That our praying is based in fear, believing that he's distant, he is uncaring, he's unkind, and really of little help to us, right? That's Deus. God created the world and he walked away. That's why there's evil in the world. Is that a biblical view of God? Do you view God as, as master? Like, okay, fine, I'll do something for you. Do you view God as perhaps slave? Oh, I tried that prayer, prayer thing, pastor. I tried, I, I went to the church, I did these things, and then I prayed, and I prayed for that loved one, and things didn't turn out well, so prayer didn't work for me. God didn't answer my prayer in the way that I wanted him to answer my prayer, so I'm done with God. That's viewing God as your slave, your servant. But Jesus says, view God as your father, as your father. And he is acting and operating in our lives for our good and his glory. All who are in Christ have this privileged position. Well, how then exactly are we supposed to pray? We pray to the Father. This is laid out in these verses here. Five times Jesus says in verses one through eight, your father, your father, your father, your father, your father. Then he gets to the section, he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes back to your father and your heavenly father. What do you think he wants his children to absolutely know? You have a father in heaven that was not born, lived, and die. He lives forever and ever and ever, and he is omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent, and he's involved in your life in every detail. And so Jesus is saying, you have a father, your father, your father, your father. Where are you keep running to for solutions to all the chaos in your life? Go to your father, your father in heaven. And the writer of Hebrews would say we, are, we pray through the son. We pray to the father. We pray through the son, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, hear what he's saying, come on, get in here, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure wa water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Do you hear what he's saying? The way is open. Get in here. Come on into the holy of holies. But do you know what kind of a sinner I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how good of a savior Jesus is? Do you know what he's done for you? You can't come in on your own, but you can come right in, in him, in Christ. Pray to the Father. Pray through the Son. Pray in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper that Jesus promised from the Father. Romans 8, Paul the Apostle, he writes, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Oh, we know we have weaknesses. Just, you know what it's like to kneel down and pray? Like, weak, weaker, weakest, that's me. We have weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray, what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Listen to this now. According to the will of God. And we know. huh? See where this works out? That for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the call according to his purpose. So understand, our prayer lives probably sound a lot like ba 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 da da daddy. Hey, dad. You grow up. And the Spirit of God, if you have been a believer for a minute, a month, a year, decades, the Spirit of God is taking your dada and translating that, communicating that to our Father in heaven because the Spirit is God, knows the mind of God. The Spirit is in every child of God and guess who brings it together so that that child of God is formed completely into the image of Christ. It's the Spirit of God. This is a lot less, I need to try harder and do more and this is much more John 15. I need to rest and receive from the Lord. I need to receive from him his goodness. So where should we pray? Am I only supposed to pray? Like, is it wrong for us to pray in, in church? Pray everywhere before the Father. He's the audience. Private prayer, that's what Jesus has in mind here. Hey, when you pray, a singular, it's talking specifically, when you pray, get alone with God. That's the real temperature of our devotional lives, our lives of prayer, is when no one is around. Where's that time? What does that time look like that you have or don't have with God? That is the true metal of where you are spiritually. Publicly, psst. privately. That's who we are in our homes, our times of family prayer, public prayer. That's where he's going with our Father who art in heaven, corporately in the church with our brothers and sisters in Christ, basically everywhere, pray without ceasing. But the audience is always the Father in heaven. What's the biblical model for prayers? That they're fed by the scripture and they're led by the spirit Take what you read. If you struggle in your prayer life, take what you're reading and you read through it daily. Many of us are reading through the, the scriptures. Then think as you're reading what stands out to you and pray that back to God. It's his word. Upward. This is where we look up. This is reverence before God. We saw that happen even in the Old Testament. And if you start looking at prayers in the Bible, you will see these movements, looking up and then a look down. This is a response of repentance, a response of contrition, a response of brokenness, receiving the love. And then inward is request, beloved. Inward is where we begin thinking and we begin bringing our cares and our concerns, our petitions to God. And then we think of others that we are praying for and we bring those petitions before the Lord, knowing that we can cast all of our care upon him. Why? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, because he cares for you. So it isn't that he doesn't care and doesn't want to hear, but our hearts have to be conditioned and then we move outward and we look out in readiness. God, lead me in fruitfulness. Use me for your glory. 
After the sermon, we're gonna sing this. This is how we fight our battles. This is it. It's on our knees. It's in prayer. It's standing. It's bowing. It's when we're driving to work, when we're driving home from work. And if you're working at home, that's like you're from your bedroom to the bathroom to your office. So, you know, there's your commute now. But we're, we're saturated with Scripture that we're overflowing as we abide in Christ. And so we seek his heart, and guess what we receive? His hand. You seek his face, you seek his heart, and you know what he is more than glad to give to us? I'm right here. Here's my hand. His provision He's provident, he's sovereign over every single blessing given and every blessing withheld. He knows what we need and he knows what's best for his children. I love this picture. I love this picture. Beloved, here's the deal. I know what I want, but my Father in heaven knows what I need. And the same is true for you. The question is not, is God good? The question is, do I trust his goodness? Or do I doubt his goodness? Master, slave, father. How do I view God? John Calvin says it this way. He said, believers do not pray with a view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him. Let me say that again. They pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by, what do you do if you struggle with worry and anxiety? Listen to this. This is worth the entire coming to church today, right here, this. By pouring them into his heart, casting all your care upon him, he cares for you, pour your anxieties into his heart in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. That is so rich. When we have the hand of our Father, we receive his provision. All blessings flow from his hand. We get his provision and we get his presence. Daniel Henderson says it this way, if all we ever do is seek God's hand, we may miss his face. But if we seek his face, he will be glad to open his hand and satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. Seek his face. You'll receive his provision. And most of all and most glorious of all, you'll receive his presence that we get God himself because the Savior's hands were pierced, that he hung on the cross for sinners. The gospel paves the way for sinners into the presence of God to be honest in prayer. Part of a group, we are just going through a time of prayer and one of the challenges was stop trying to be a good little boy or a good little girl in prayer. Who are we trying to fool? Bear your heart to God. Be real before the Lord. Listen to what Martin Luther, he said this. He said, you should completely despair of your own sense and reason. For by these you will not attain the goal. 
Rather, kneel down in your private little room and with sincere humility and earnestness, pray God through his dear son, graciously grant to you his Holy Spirit to enlighten and guide you and give you understanding. There's the heart of it right there. And his final words, Martin Luther's final words, we are beggars, this is true. Let that sink in. John Piper changes that to say, we are prayers. And he gets the glory and we get the grace. Is that your heart? God, you get the glory. I need your grace. Sometimes when we pray, it's helpful to let your body reflect what your heart desires. Your hands are open, your hands are empty. If someone's praying, it's okay to open your hands and say, God, this is it, I got nothing, I'm empty, I need you. I can do nothing apart from you. Sometimes we lift our hands. We're, show me a father that when the, when the little guy, little girl comes up to him and says, Daddy, hey, hey, get away, back away, I'm busy. That's not your father in heaven. Yeah, sometimes dad, dads, we've blown it. But our father in heaven, no. No, never. So may the Lord by his spirit teach us that we recognize deficient prayer, that we understand that prayer is a discipline, requires discipline, but that we ultimately, we're just responding with hearts filled with devotion. We're just responding to how good God is and drawing near to him. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are faithful. As we even saw in your word today, Lord, it's your faithfulness that will carry us through. Not our faithfulness, it's your faithfulness. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that your spirit intercedes on our behalf. I think about my prayer life and the struggles that I've had through my entire believing life reminded me afresh and anew why do I do what I do what am I trying to accomplish in prayer but to draw near to my father in heaven and you know what I have need of and what we have need of before we ever even ask so remind me remind us Forgive us, cleanse us, purify us, Lord. That we will come to you. That we will seek your face and receive your hand. And every blessing that you give and every blessing that with you withhold from us, we will trust you. And when we intercede for others, Lord, and we bring petitions to you, it's what we are going to sing that we fight these battles, but not in the power of the flesh. Our weapons are not carnal. 
Our weapons, the weapon of prayer is spiritual, Paul writes, and it pulls down strongholds. It pulls down in prayer areas of our lives of rebellion, areas of anxiety, areas of depression, areas where someone puts a label and says, you can't change. This is who you are. You're an alcoholic. That's it. That's done. God, that is not true. These weapons, this weapon that we have of prayer is the slender, this nerve that moves the muscle of the omnipotence, Lord. So we pray and we seek you. And we ask you to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think so that Christ is glorified in his church and in the world. Use us to that end, we pray. Save those who don't know Jesus today, Lord and strengthen every follower of Christ that we would live for your glory and your glory alone. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.